0: What's up? So what are you? Are you an extrovert? Are you an introvert? Are you somewhere in between? Go ahead. You can answer that question in your head, but I want you to hold on to it. And I don't want you to say it out loud yet because I want to share with you some scientific research behind the differences between us, those of us who are introverts or extroverts and those of us who are somewhere in the middle, because obviously there's a lot of people who are somewhere in the middle. And today's episode, I'm going to dispel some of the myths and misconceptions And I think in listening to this episode, you're going to better understand your friends, your kids, your partner, the people you work with, and the better we understand the people that we love and care about, the more likely we are to improve those relationships. So thank you for listening to this edition of The Shaleen Show. I want to start with a quick follow-up to the episode I did last week about teenagers, like raising teenagers, You know, I talked about the importance of reading parenting books and many of you asked for suggestions. I'm going to do an episode here in a couple of weeks and go through a whole bunch of different Audible books that I highly recommend you listen to. But I did want to mention this. If you have kids who are older than six and they're already asking for digital devices, if you have middle schoolers, if you have high schoolers, you need to read as many books as you can about parenting in this era. It's totally different. There's so many different things. Your parents can't give you advice on this because they didn't go through this. It is a new frontier, and there's so much we need to be aware of. And I'm going to give you a couple of more books. I'm going to give you a bunch of book recommendations in that upcoming episode. But in the meantime, I just strongly encourage you, if you've got kids that are that age, to go on Amazon, search for titles, look at reviews. And listen to a couple of them. They're all going to have a little bit different perspectives and you're going you're to get some great takeaways. One book that I recommend is called, hold on, here it is, Parenting Generation Screen. I think it's a great book. Remember when you're listening to Audible, you can adjust the speed of the author's voice. That's a key little takeaway there for you. But in the Parenting Generation screen book, he cites so many really valuable, convincing statistics, like just data around depression and performance in school, their ability to pay attention, how screen time has a dramatic impact on their confidence, their ability to focus, delayed gratification, there's safety. I mean, there's so many things, right? Okay, so I want to share with you this quick story. One of my friends with a teenage daughter was debating mom about the reasons why she should be able to have her phone in her room to use it as her alarm, why it wasn't fair to her if she had to be off her phone by a certain time each day. Mom's argument was even if you're not on your phone after this time, like just having it in your room and being on it before you go to bed is having an impact on your ability to sleep. It's having an impact on your brain. Of course, daughter says, No, it's not. I fall asleep so quickly. I sleep through the night. I'm getting good grades, all of these things. So, what they agreed to do was to get a sleep ring, the aura ring specifically. And mom said, Okay, if let's just let the ring, let's let science decide rather than the two of us guessing you guessing or me guessing, let's actually let the ring tell us what's going on with your sleep. This is such a brilliant thing to do. And listen, I know not every parent can afford to get a sleep ring for their kid, but I just thought this was so brilliant. I had to tell you about it. Okay, so they got the ring. Then for two weeks, she limited the amount of screen time that she had and they agreed upon for those two weeks to put her phone down several hours before she went to bed. They looked at the scores, they recorded things. Now, of course, mom is the only one looking at the scores. This is kind of key because kids are smart and they're gonna figure out a way to manipulate those things. So mom put the Aura Ring app on her phone so she could see what was going on and daughter was just playing along. Then for the second two weeks, she allowed her daughter to go back to using her phone the way that she was before, meaning she could use it right up until the moment she was supposed to be asleep and in bed and she could have it next to her bedstand at night even though she wasn't supposed to be on it and she didn't limit the amount that she was using it during the day. I mean, she really just kind of went back to what they were doing so that they could really take a look at how it impacted her brain, her sleep, her readiness. And mom agreed up front. She said, listen, if the scores are the same or if maybe you're, you're gonna get better sleep if you're looking at your phone before you go to bed. And if that's the case, then honey, I will agree. I'll change my mind and I'll let you use your phone all the way up until you go to sleep. My girlfriend says it is the best she has ever spent in her life. Now she basically allows her to have access to her phone based on her sleep numbers. Isn't that brilliant? So like mom doesn't have to be the bad guy. She's like, we're just looking at your brain and that's my job here. I think what she wasn't expecting is that the ring, seeing your scores every day and being able to track your temperature, your immunity, and obviously your deep sleep. Your REM sleep, how long it takes you to fall asleep, how much you wake up in the middle of the night. It shows you all of those things. And oh, by the way, it also shows you cool things like when you're going to get your menstrual cycle, which is awfully convenient. The part that I don't think she had anticipated is how that number each day, her daughter wants to see what the number is. That number, that score has gamified, if you will, sleep. As opposed to us telling our kids like you need to get more sleep, or even to tell ourselves like I know I need to get more sleep, I think I slept this amount. And you really don't know. That's why I've been you know using an aura ring now for a while, and so does Brett. And when Bob was living with us, we had an aura ring on him. It's also why I have been talking to the aura ring company saying like Is there something we can do for our listeners? And you're going to get six months free of the aura ring membership when you go to shaleen.com forward slash ring. I want to explain that you you don't need a an Aura Ring membership. Even without the membership, you're still going to be able to see your readiness score, all of your sleep scores, your activity scores, your battery information, your profile information, all of that cool stuff. But the extra added things, all those other little like crazy, interesting statistics that tell you what's going on in your body, your membership will give you access to all of that data. And again, you get six months free when you use shaleen.com forward slash ring. They are very stylish. They are waterproof. It looks like jewelry. It's just, it's sharp. I like them on men, on women. They're very attractive. You won't even know you're wearing it. They are considered the gold standard at the moment for tracking your activity, your sleep, et cetera. Anyways, obviously it's an investment if you're talking about doing this for your kid. But frankly, I mean, just consider it. We spend like $1,000 for tablets or some tablets now are like $3,000 or $2,000 for phones, And this is something that can give you a lot of insight. Kids are losing sleep and it's causing them to have higher anxiety and depression and suicide rates. So whether you're considering it for you, maybe it's you, maybe you need to figure out what's going on with your sleep, or you want to get it for one of your kids or a family member. It's a really important investment. I highly recommend it. I'm wearing mine right now. If you want the membership for free, go to shaleen.com forward slash ring to learn more about the Aura Ring. Now let's talk about the way we are similar and the way we are different in understanding extroversion and introversion. There are so many myths and misconceptions, but when it comes to the science, what we do know is that our brains, the the brains of an introvert versus an extrovert, are different, and that's the main difference between us. It has very little to do with being shy or outgoing or friendly or any of those other misconceptions. I want to start this off with an excerpt from the scientific director of the Imagination Institute. He explains that the difference between our brains is that the brain of an introvert is less stimulated by rewards, the rewards that an extrovert's brain might be stimulated by. So in other words, when you think about rewards, rewards are food, sex, money, recognition, social status, social affiliation, like who we're hanging out with. And when we look at the brains of people who are more extroverted, their brains, when presented with some of these, these are called repetitive rewards, right? They're the rewards that we see every day, everyday life. When extroverts are presented with these rewards, their brains kind of light up. So dopamine really gets sent to the right places and it can be exciting, enticing. They want the reward. Versus when these same rewards are shown to someone who is an introvert, While we might still want these things, our brains don't get as excited. They don't light up with the same type of dopamine response as someone who's an extrovert. And that's not to say that all extroverts are excited by all of those things, but typically speaking, extroverts' brains see those, whatever reward it gets excited about, and those people get more excited than introverts do about those external rewards. I'm not a scientist, I'm not a psychologist. But I am someone who's always been a little confused by the fact that I consider myself outgoing. I don't want to be the center of attention, but I also don't mind if I need to be the center of attention. I consider myself a leader. I like people, but yet I prefer to be by myself. I'm very outgoing, yet I call myself an introvert. So I've always kind of referred to myself as an outgoing introvert. But what I now realize after looking at and reading a bunch of books, I'm going to share a couple of them with you. And then looking at some of the new science that we have about how our brains are different. First of all, you need to know this. There are some people who are predominantly extroverted and some people are predominantly introverted. And then there are these people that are ambiverts somewhere in the middle. And all of us have some lap over traits, but it is interesting to understand how our nervous system, how our brain factors into this. Great book. It's also available on Audible. It's called The Introvert Advantage how to thrive in an extroverted world it's written by Dr. Marty Olson but in the book she talks about acetylcholine it is a neurotransmitter in the brain and for introverts this is interesting we get a high dosage of pleasure when we turn inward and that's why you know all of us seek pleasure whether you're an introvert or an extrovert You're seeking that reward. Well, the reward for introverts, we get a bigger hit of dopamine when we turn inward, when we think deeply, when we focus intensely on one thing for a long period of time, which is why people who have ADHD qualities oftentimes also have a lot of introverted qualities, which is not to say that everyone with ADHD is an introvert, but we have a higher tendency, there's a higher likelihood that we will have introverted tendencies. And acetylcholine, get this, is linked to our parasympathetic side of our nervous system. There's the parasympathetic side and there's the sympathetic side. And when we look at the brains of people who are more extroverted, their sympathetic side lights up more than their parasympathetic side, okay? Think of the parasympathetic side as the side that allows us to kind of Throttle down. It's how we conserve energy. It's how we rest and digest. And think of the sympathetic side, although you would think that would mean sympathy. No, that's a side of your neurological system that's associated with like full throttle, like fight or flight or freeze. Our sympathetic side is a side that allows us to make snap decisions. It allows us to kind of like block out external stimuli and just basically respond in a fight, flight, or freeze response. And obviously, or conversely, the parasympathetic side of the nervous system, because it's associated with like resting and digesting and it's how the body conserves energy. It helps the body to relax. It helps us to store energy and it puts us in a contemplative state. And when we're in that contemplative state, we get a dopamine hit. Like that's what feels good. With that basic understanding of how our brain chemistry is different, I think it will help to understand how some of these myths and misconceptions have taken hold. So the first myth I want to address is that people who are introverted don't like people. Obviously, that's false. And there are both introverts and extroverts who love the people they love and don't care for the people they don't care for, and at no higher rate, one from the other. But introverts are often thought to be antisocial or reclusive or rude because whenever they get a chance, they kind of want to slip away. It's hard for them to be the first person or the last person to the party. And remember, as humans, we're all wired to avoid pain, to avoid discomfort. And now knowing what you know about the introvert brain and how the introvert's brain tends to hang out in the parasympathetic side, the throttle down side, you can understand that when they're in an environment where there's lots of people or noise or activity, you're in a throttle up environment, even as an introvert, if you enjoy it, you've probably, if you're an introvert, you know what I'm talking about. You've been at a party or you've had people around you and everything's going great and you're having a good time and then all of a sudden you feel like someone came over and like flipped a switch and you're like, I got to get out of here right now. This very second, I need everybody to leave. I mean, I've had times where I felt like I had 100% battery charge and then all of a sudden I blink and I'm at zero and I feel like my eyes are flashing red and it's hard to hide it sometimes. Now, if I'm with a group of people who know that I'm an introvert and know not to take it personal, then I'm not embarrassed to explain that I'm feeling it like, okay, Love all y'all, but y'all need to go home now. Everyone needs to leave because I'm about to lose it. Or I'll be having a great time. I'm in the middle of a social circle. I'm talking to like five or six people and I'm super engaged and I'm loving every single second of it. And then two seconds later, I'm looking for Brett and, you know, pinching the back of his arm and saying, we have to go. We have to go now. And he's like, are you okay? Are you sick? I'm like, no, I don't know what it is, but I need to leave now. Whereas an extrovert might be able to be at that same party. And maybe they're shy. Maybe they're standing in that same group of five or six people and they're listening, but they're not comfortable being the center of the attention. But it's just being around all those people and hearing that conversation. And they could stay there all night. They're fine with being there for hours and hours, talking to strangers if they want, or maybe not talking to anybody, just being around people for hours. And everybody leaves the party and they're willing to stay and help the cleanup crew and have small talk and enjoy people, it gives them energy. It feels good. It feels good to be around people. That's where they get their energy. Whereas someone who is in their parasympathetic nervous system feels almost an immediate depletion of energy. And it's hard to say when and where and how much you can take before you're like, okay, now it's uncomfortable. Now I have to flee. For those of you who are parents, you've probably noticed this with your kids too. I mean, if you have more than one child or if you have a child and have been around other people's kids, you've probably noticed that there are those kids who too much stimulation and they melt down or they turn inward or they start sucking their thumb or they have a tantrum or they just withdraw because it's just too much. And that's not a child who is born shy or outgoing It has nothing to do with your parenting style. It's how this child's brain works. And what we know is that the prefrontal cortex of introverts and extroverts are very different. Introverts need a lot less stimulation to feel happy, to be satisfied. Whereas extroverts tend to find more excitement, get more enjoyment from external, often social, arousal. Extroverts have a higher dopamine activation, like the happy areas of your brain all light up when they connect with other humans, which isn't to say, again, that introverts don't like connecting with other humans, but without a doubt, we know from looking at brain scans that introverts do not require nearly as much social interaction in order to feel good. In fact, too much social interaction can feel very draining. It can feel overwhelming. And it's not that introverts always want to be alone. That's not true. Introverts, just as extroverts, want to spend time with other people. They're often social. But introverts tend to need to daydream. They need to sort through problems and process feelings, ideas, emotions. They tend to do that better on their own. So it's not that they want to always be alone, but they definitely need more of that in order to process. I mean, we all need to process things. We all need to problem solve and it is not uncommon for someone who's an extrovert to assume that someone is an introvert has something against them or well, it must be me because you know, it's hard for us to understand each other's brains, but the extrovert is like it feels so good to be around other people. You seem happy when we're together. I don't understand why this person doesn't want to do more with other people or more specifically with me, but once we understand each other's brains. And we recognize that one isn't better or worse. They're just different. Then we can kind of respect each other a little better. For sure, we can respect each other better. And we take it less personal. I was recently leaving dinner with a group of girlfriends and one of my most extroverted girlfriends said, we just have to make more plans for more girl time. And when she said that as an introvert, my battery was already blinking red. She's an extrovert. So her battery is blinking green and she wants more of that. Mine's blinking red. Like I just spent two hours with five girlfriends. I'm on empty. I might be able to do this again in the future, but you're asking me for more energy while my energy is on zero. But understanding that that's how her brain works and also recognizing that that's how my brain works and knowing and recognizing and even talking about the fact that we have these differences has brought us so much closer And we can joke about it. The funny thing about my very extroverted girlfriend is there are misconceptions about her being an extrovert too. So for example, she doesn't enjoy public speaking. She can be the center of attention if she needs to be, but she doesn't have to be. And she can handle small talk. She's really good at small talk, but she would still much prefer to have deep conversations. It's a misconception that extroverts don't also want conversations of substance. They do. But extroverts don't like silence. So they will push through their own discomfort of having small talk conversations, whereas an introvert, sometimes they can't push through that discomfort. You know, both of us don't love small talk, but the extrovert is willing to fill up the space and to make certain that there is an uncomfortable silence. And they want to keep the conversation. They want to keep the chatter. They want to keep the talk going because an extrovert just like an introvert, assumes that everyone's brain is kind of like theirs and they don't want others to be uncomfortable with the awkward silence. So they'll fill that silence with small talk because they assume that that is less awkward than silence. And just as every introvert needs social time, every extrovert needs quiet time or alone time. And every extrovert reaches a point at which they're like, okay, everyone's driving me crazy. But the extroverted brain, when we look at it on a scan, spends more time in the sympathetic area of the nervous system, meaning they definitely get more rewards and feel happier, feel more engaged around people more often than they do when they are alone. But every one of us has a point at which we're like, okay, y'all are bugging me. Everybody has that. It's just the extroverts tend to be able to tolerate it for a longer period of time. All right, after taking all of that in, where do you think you fall on the scale? Are you an ambivert, which are people that really sit very squarely in the center? Or do you tend towards introversion? Or are you extremely introverted? Do you predominantly have more extroversion traits, meaning you prefer to have people and energy around you? Of course, you need your alone time, but you do find yourself more stimulated when there's people around, when there's noise, there's activity, there's conversations? Which one are you? How about your kids, your significant other, your partner, your co-workers? What about your best friend? Brett is definitely an extrovert. He obviously has some introverted tendencies. He does some things by himself every day, but he definitely can be around people way longer than I can. He likes to have his alone time, but he doesn't need it in the way that I really need it. So, Being married for so long, 27 years, we've learned to understand and not take it personal. Like I don't take it personal when he wants to do things with me, wants me to run some errands with him. And he doesn't take it personal when I'm like, okay, so I'm going to need the afternoon by myself. You know, don't take it personal. I'm going to go for a walk and he'll try to invite himself with me. I'm like, "Uh, I kind of need to go do this by myself. It's not that I don't want to be around him. It's that my brain wants to feel good and it needs to process and needs to think. So a really important thing that you can do is just start communicating these things to the people you love, help them to understand the way your brain works so they don't take it personal. I heard a lot of people talking about how it became very, very apparent if you were an introvert or an extrovert during the pandemic. Now, I've heard many people say introverts were in hog heaven because they got to go home from the office, they got to be reclusive, to hibernate, if you will, in their homes. For me, it was uncomfortable for a lot of it because my kids... And their partners were here at the house and Brett was here. No one left the house. So I couldn't get enough alone time, which is interesting. Even if I snuck away into my bedroom and like closed the door, I still found that I couldn't completely decompress and recharge the way I did when the house is completely empty. I believe the reason that was is because even if I went and snuck away into my bedroom and closed the door... I was still fluttering in my sympathetic brain, meaning that fight, flight, or freeze, knowing that at any moment someone might need me, someone might knock on the door, someone might come in. So I really, truly couldn't get comfortably in my parasympathetic brain. And I struggled. You know, I had to have these conversations with Brett where I was like, I love our kids. I love everybody, but I have to get away. I have to have this house empty where like no one's here or I have to go outside. And that's what I would do. I just took a lot of walks by myself. And we eventually all talked about how important it was for all of our mental health to understand that we needed some rules and boundaries and all of us needed some alone time. And I had a few extroverted single friends, no kids, you know, no partner. And being quarantined alone took a huge toll on their mental health. I mean, it was hard. Can you imagine going months and months and months with an empty battery? You just couldn't be around people. It was torturous. It's no wonder that people really struggle with their mental health on both sides of the fence, introverts and extroverts, and people in the middle, because we didn't have any control. We didn't have the ability to regulate how much social interaction we had. Now think about your kids. Your kids were suffering in these same ways. Both extroverts and introverts were suffering. So your next question might be, can I change this about myself? Can I shift from being an introvert to being more of an extrovert? Well, the studies suggest that these are genetic predispositions. So you have from the time you were born, genetic precursors that make you more likely to be introverted or extroverted. But as with all genetic predispositions, there are ways that we can influence our genetics, right? Epigenetics, if you will. So those things can relate to our lifestyle, our sleep, our habits, our experiences, our educational system, our workplace, and even trauma. All of these things can shift the way our brains take in that external stimuli, whether we're in the parasympathetic or the sympathetic nervous system. So for example, during the pandemic, Brett said, I used to be an extrovert, but this whole experience has made me an introvert. Now I think he's kind of back to where he was, somewhere slightly extroverted from a middle ground. My personal opinion is that we shouldn't necessarily try to Change who we are at our core. But if there are things I can learn to do that make me more comfortable being in the sympathetic part of my brain, then that would seem to me something useful to work on. For example, I get really uncomfortable when small talk starts happening. Rather than just shutting down or avoiding going to social environments, I have found ways to cope. So, for example, I'll bring my extroverted friend. Or I'll come up with a list of questions like small talk questions because I'm not good at them. So I'll come up with a list of them before I go to an event where I know I'm going to be meeting people that I don't have anything in common with them or I don't know anything about them. I'll have a list prepared in advance. So it's not that I'm trying to change who I am. I'm trying to exercise coping techniques that make it more comfortable for me to be in those environments. At the same time, I think it's really important that we respect what it is we need to be our best. And when we respect those things, we honor those things, and we try to set up systems so that we can be our best, then that benefits everybody, including ourselves. I know I'm much happier. My dopamine fires much higher, and I'm a much more pleasant person to be around. I am my highest self when I can get alone time. That means it's my responsibility to maybe explain to friends who are like, oh, you're coming into town, you should stay with us even though I might feel like I'm being rude by saying, oh, that's okay, we're going to get a hotel. I have to be okay with that because the alternative is I'm going to show up a lower energy, lower vibration, unhappy version of myself if I don't have a room by myself in a hotel that I can escape to. I'm not going to feel like I can recharge if I'm staying in someone's home in their extra bedroom. So, That's my responsibility to do that. If I want to be my highest self, I have to know, I have to respect, and I have to honor the boundaries that I put in place to do that. And I have to remind myself that that's not being selfish. It's the opposite of that. It's showing up selflessly for others by understanding what it is I need to do that. And the opposite might be true if you're an extrovert. Maybe you know you've got to take a business trip and you're going to be alone in a hotel room by yourself for a couple of days. Well, then do whatever it is you need to recharge your battery before that. Maybe it is doing some extra planning before you leave so that you have social activities to attend. Doing some research to find out if there's a mixer in the area. Attending a meetup. Reaching out to a friend who lives in that city. Knowing that it's it's not healthy for you to go back to your hotel room and eat a meal by yourself. You are much better served by going and sitting in a restaurant with a bunch of strangers because you can feel the energy of the people around you. And you're probably going to engage other people in conversation, which helps you to get into your sympathetic nervous system. What many extroverts struggle with is when they're in a partnership and their partner is an introvert. And the extrovert, for example, might want to go to dinner by themselves or go to a movie by themselves if no one else is available because they just, they want to feel other people's energy. The introvert doesn't understand that. Extroverts can be accused of being overly flirtatious. Overly friendly, validation seeking, attention seeking, when the fact is, just as an introvert seeks some alone time, extroverts seek connection and social connections in particular to feel their best and to show up their best. So it really boils down to us understanding that we're different, our brains work differently, and it is our personal responsibilities to understand ourselves. And to find coping techniques, to find coping mechanisms, and to set up ways in which we can be our best because that's how we can be most selfless. I think it's really important we think about our kids and we understand why one child might come home from school and they're just, they seem empty and they act out and they won't listen. They're defiant, argumentative. They can't just sit down and start their homework. They need to get away. They need some alone time. They need to digest, to decompress, and to recharge. And then there's that other kid that can come home after being around people all day long, and they can't sit by themselves alone away from people and do their homework. It's harder for them to do that. That child might need to be in a more busier environment where the TV's on and everybody's in the room, and they can actually still focus and get their homework done. It's understanding that we're all different. It's understanding that the world is kind of really more geared towards extroverts but that doesn't mean being an introvert is bad or being an extrovert is bad. They're just different. So whatever it is you are, embrace it. Okay, I have a favor to ask of you that's gonna benefit both of us. And that is, I want you to send this episode to someone you know who's kind of has the opposite traits of what you have, that you love and you care about. So maybe you're an introvert and they're an extrovert, or maybe you're an extrovert and they're an introvert. I want you to send them this show. So if you're listening on an Apple device, you just tap the three little dots in the bottom right-hand corner, which will pull up a little pull-down menu, and at the top of it should say share. So you'll see the share icon. Just tap that. When you click the share icon, the people you text most often will appear there, or you can just pull up your message app and type in anyone's name who you want. You can text them this episode on a lot of the apps It is three dots in the upper right-hand corner, and then you just scroll down until you see the share option. And then just, again, just text it. Text it to a few people or text it to your group that you're in, that thread, you know what I'm talking about? Send it to the thread and say, all right, identify yourself. Are you an introvert, extrovert, or somewhere in the middle? Listen to this episode. I think it'll really help you understand me. I love you, and I appreciate you being here. If you want more of the personal, journal, entertaining stories, opinions, deeper kind of stuff, less personal growth, more personal journal, I invite you to become a Patreon member. You just go to patreon.com forward slash The Shaleen Show. And for $5 a month, you support the show. That gives you every episode of The Shaleen Show ad-free. And then in addition to that, you'll get two extra juicy personal episodes per month, plus all of the back Patreon episodes that I've done, they're still there too. They don't expire. So I invite you to check that out. Again, it's patreon.com forward slash Shaleen. In the meantime, I love you. I mean it. And I'll talk to you soon.
1: If you enjoyed this show, please don't forget to make sure you are subscribed and following along. The Shaleen Show is available on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and most every podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star review and tell us specifically what you enjoyed. We'd love to know. The Shaleen Show is released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. For Tuesdays and Thursdays, be sure to follow and subscribe to Shaleen's other podcast, Build Your Tribe, which she co-hosts with her son, Brock Johnson. It's all about business, social media, and marketing, and devoted to helping you make more money and live more life. Links to anything referenced in today's episode, as well as show sponsors and other podcasts, can be found below in our show notes.